Welcome to Therapy Extended. Before we begin, I want to let you know about an online course that was created to help you determine if your relationship is toxic and what to do about it. Whether you are ready to break free from your toxic relationship or unsure if your relationship is toxic and need help determining if it is, or maybe in a toxic relationship that you don't want to leave but want to know if you can be healthy in this, then this course is for you. You will have access to worksheets and resources that can help you identify your values, goals, and increase self-esteem. As you take this course, you will feel empowered to stand up for yourself, have a clearer sense of direction, and feel validated and encouraged. Go to www.lizayoungcounseling.com course to learn about the Toxic-Free Relationship course. And now for our guest of the day. I am so excited to have Carol the coach with us today. Carol is a certified sex addictions therapist, a certified clinical partner specialist, personal life coach, clinical social worker, marriage and family therapist, and an addiction counselor. She has years of experience and a plethora of resources to help those struggling with sex addiction, as well as their partners who have been betrayed. I'm so grateful to have her on today to discuss many of those resources, as well as tips to begin healing. Hey, Carol, I'm so glad that you are here today to talk with me. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you, I love that I'm here. You know, I've been so excited for this podcast. It's really an excellent podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, you have so many, we were just talking about this a minute ago, but you have so many resources that help partners of betrayal and sex addicts. And the list of resources that you have is just endless and so important and so wonderful. And so I wanted to, because this, the recent book, Help Her Heal, I love, it's a workbook that um, I would love for you to, to talk about kind of the, what the inspiration is behind it. Um, if you could talk some about this amazing workbook. Well, I'll tell you, um, I found in working with my addicts that they would get better in their recovery, but relationally, they didn't have a clue how to help her heal. And so I decided that they really needed to be spoon fed the information. And that's when I just, I worked on this workbook so that I could help them to help her. And it, it has been an inspiration for me because, you know, I felt like it was very simplistic and elementary, and I was hoping that it would be helpful. And I have had people in every profession, from astronauts to physicians, say, I wish I would have had this 10 years ago. This is exactly what I needed back then, and I'm going to start incorporating it now. And so I realized that it doesn't matter where you are in your recovery. It's better if it's right at the beginning, but regardless, you can help her heal if you use the techniques in the book. Yeah, I love that. And I love how it, it, you know, you start out with empathy, which can be learned and is such an important piece of really getting that down, right? So that the that they can express their 
and understand where the partner's coming from. That's a huge part of, of helping her heal, right? So I love that you start out with that. Is, is it just for sex addicts? Well, in, in, no, it is not. I mean, there's, I give this book to partners and I give this book to couples and I ask them to work through it too. By work through it, when I give it to partners, I want her to know what I'm helping him with mm-hmm. so that when she sees that he's using an empathy formula, for example, AVR, and he's actually acknowledging her pain and validating her feelings and then reassuring her, she can be gentle with him because this is not easy stuff. And um, I want her to help him to help her. So I want her to see the kinds of things he's doing and to know what she can expect from their relationship. I like them to work on it together uh, because he doesn't always get it right. And if he's doing an exercise that says, I wounded my wife when, and he's supposed to write 25 reasons that he knows that he wounded his wife, and he only comes up with 12, she can help add to that list and remind him of how wounded she really is. Because, you know, Liza, you know, just like me, that, um, she is very wounded from a spiritual and emotional, even a physical standpoint. Yeah. She, her brain is traumatized and she's having trouble with simple things like speaking and decision-making and functioning. And if he understands that, he is much more likely to be gentle with her too. I know your question was, is it just for sex addicts? And the truth of the matter is, it is for this population of partner betrayal and sex addiction. Because uh, I go into so much in chapter one about her brain and why she's doing the things she's doing and helping him to understand that physiological, neurobiological response. Mm-hmm. Um, second chapter is about feelings, and I keep it to the five. I keep it to anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness because. Both of them are traumatized and they're flooded with feelings. And I really believe that they have to understand their feeling to know how to proceed. And if they're feeling anger, sadness, loneliness, and fear, they'll feel overwhelmed. So I want them to pick the primary feeling. And um, certainly there are more feelings in those five, but those are the primary ones. And so I say, you know, to the man who's working on sexual integrity, I say, you know, identify how she's feeling so that you can use that in your empathy with her. Yeah. Um, So, you know, each chapter is very elementary and, um, but I find that I said they're both traumatized. And when the addict watches how traumatized the partner is, it traumatizes him. So, you know, some addicts had trauma in childhood, and that's why they reenacted it and acted out. But some don't, but they still end up having trauma if they love their wife because they didn't want to do what they did. And 
what I know to be true is that that addiction took over and took them away from their conscience, their values, and their morals. And recovery brings those back online. And then when, when they are no longer compartmentalizing what they did, they have to face how hurt, how wounded, how damaged that their partners have become because of their actions. Yeah. Wow. It's so important. What are, what are some of the implications um, for the partners? Um, Are you referencing what are the implications of sex addiction or implications of an addict in the book? I, I think mainly for the addict using the book, you know, what can, um, because you, you touched on that some, um, just being able to, I love the idea of them working through that together and her really knowing, okay, this is what he's doing. This is what he's learning. What, what are some other things? Because, um, it does focus on the addict, you know, understanding themselves, but what are maybe some more implications that, um, I guess, directly about the book? Well, um, when partners see that he's really working the book, mm-hmm. it's another bit of evidence that proves that he wants to be different. And I wouldn't stamp every partner with this, but I would stamp the majority. And what I would stamp them with is they are trying to make sense of an unsafe situation and they will do whatever it takes to get more information, whether that's look at at the addict's phone, follow them with the GPS, you know, the app 360, um, read their workbooks, read their journals. They're just trying to find out if he's really different this time because they thought who he, who they thought they knew who he was mm-hmm. and then they found out that they didn't and they don't want to get duped again and this book on empathy helps her to see that he's learning the important things you know chapter three is about um her needs and what those needs are from an emotional, physical, social, intellectual, spiritual, and purposeful um, perspective. Chapter four is about trigger busting. How can he help her when he sees she's triggered as opposed to get out of Dallas and let her deal with it alone or not know what to say? How can he actually physically say, I can see you're triggered and it looks like it's a really big trigger. Can you tell me, do you know why you're triggered? And sometimes she does and sometimes she doesn't. And then if she doesn't know why she's triggered, if there's no reason for her to be triggered, he can help her by saying, you know, that trigger looks bad and I know I caused that trigger. but I want you to know you're safe right now with me and I, I will be there for you. I will be there and help you with this trigger until it gets better. Now, if it's a trigger, you know, like an anniversary date, a discovery date, um, a certain 
restaurant they're in that she all of a sudden flashes back to, oh my gosh, I wonder if you took her here too. Um, then what he has to do is acknowledge and validate um, how she's feeling. And of course she would feel that way and she can ask him anything, he's an open book and that will decrease the triggers. But men don't know what to do. They do not know what to do when their wives are triggered. And so oftentimes they pretend that they aren't seeing it, they avoid it, or they send them messages, can't we just get on with this? You know, I'm not doing anything, please stay positive. And that's absolutely the worst thing you can say to a partner who is right then and there having a brain activated from something he did in the past. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that because it's, it's the book, the workbook is also, it's, it's validating for the partner, the, the, the things that you're touching on. Cause it's like, yeah, I am triggered or yeah, I need him to see this or work on that. And there's just a lot of validation there. So, uh, you know, you've, you've done this for so many years. Do you working with couples, do you really believe that they can heal from such betrayal? Absolutely, 100%. Um, now, that being said, I would say there's 5 to 10% that can't. Um, I'm a believer in keeping the couple together if they want to be together. But if she tries and he tries and he does what he's supposed to and it doesn't seem like it helps, then I'm their mirror in therapy and in coaching. Eventually I say, guys, this isn't getting better. So what do we wanna do about this? Do we want to reframe this as you're gonna remain roommates for the sake of the kids and um, coexist together or because they don't want to disrupt their family's life or maybe they don't want to divide the finances um, or you know there will be times that if they're really wishing that they weren't together then I'll say hey let, let's try a therapeutic separation mm -hmm. to see if either one of you are less triggered or happier um, can lead your own life because the truth of the matter is we want the partner to get to post-traumatic um, post growth. We want her to get to the other side. We don't want her defined by partner betrayal forever. And if she can't shake that, if she can't trust him, if she's been too wounded, then I want her to have her own life. And I want to help her in any way possible because she deserves this. You know, she didn't ask for this. This um, was a terrible travesty. And if two, three, four, five years into it, it's not better. It's, it's bad enough that this happened to you. It should not define your everyday experience for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you say that because sometimes for some, for some, you know, women, there's just too much water under the bridge, you know, and they have to assess, okay, is this, am I up for this 
you know, because it does take a couple of years at times to really get to that reconnecting healing point. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long journey. It's one that it is absolutely doable. Um, and I, as always, feel very strongly that it, it should be done alongside with the therapist or coach who understands betrayal trauma um, to help and sex addiction to help that um, move forward in the right direction. But just to know you're not stuck, you know, not you're not trapped in it. You have the you have the 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 power to to make the decision for yourself. Do you feel like that that is a decision that is best made when there has been more healing done, where there's not a lot of reactivity emotionally, or is what what do you feel about the timing of that type of decision, whether to stay or go? Well, you know, you and I were both trained by APSATS, a partner-sensitive organization that really says the partner gets to make that decision. And so my answer to that question is whenever she feels like she needs to make that decision. I mean, that could be within 90 days of discovery. Uh, And of course, that's not enough time for healing to have occurred. But one of the things we do at APSATS is we empower partners to get to make those kind of decisions because it, it wasn't supposed to happen to her. And as a result, she's now in the driver's seat. Um, she certainly isn't in the driver's seat if he continues to act out and has lots of slips and relapses, but she's in the driver's seat as to how she decides that. So when it comes to couples healing, it's really when she feels like she's had enough. You know, I um, the, one of the statements that you can say is when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And I remember a woman way before I ever did this work that was tired of her husband's multiple affairs. And her friends said, when are you going to stop this insanity? When are you going to leave him? And she said, very simply, when I can't stand it anymore, mm-hmm. that's when I'll leave. And so for some women that I can't stand it, is immediately. And for other women, they'll put in three, five, seven, ten years before they make that decision. And so I feel like it's my job to empower them to take as little or as much time as they need to make that decision. Absolutely. Can you talk some about the three stages of partner betrayal? Yeah, you know, there are three stages. It's interesting because uh, I wrote this book. It's going to come out, hopefully, I would say in the next seven days. And it's for partners. And it's called Unleashing Your Power, Moving Beyond Partner Betrayal. Mm -hmm. And I said it earlier when I said a woman should not be defined by the betrayal. Initially, of course she is. It's the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to her. So she's all about what just happened to me. Um, But there are three very separate 
phases to what we believe is partner betrayal. The first one is safety and stabilization. And that is when a, when a woman discovers whatever the acting out behaviors were, whether it be pornography, affair partners, prostitution, voyeurism, exhibitionism, whatever those acting out behaviors are, she needs to take in as much information so that she'll feel safe. And between the feeling overload of, oh my gosh, I've been betrayed. And also that I got to figure out what happened to me. Uh, her brain is severely impacted. And so safety and stabilization for a partner involves grounding and resourcing and being able to do those things that work at trying to put her back into what we call a window of tolerance, which is where we all operate from. You know, I never, ever, ever oversleep. Ever. I wake up an hour before I'm supposed to get up. And um, I reminded myself today that I didn't have an 8 a.m. And at, at five o'clock when my alarm rang, I switched it to six. And I woke up, the alarm rang again, and it said eight o'clock. Now, A, I forgot that I didn't have an eight o'clock. But B, I jumped out of bed. I ran for some clothes. I thought, oh, is my appointment at the office? Is, is it virtual? And I mean, I ran up here to check my appointment book. My heart was pounding. My head immediately had a headache. I don't ever get headaches. I was shaking because the last thing I want to do is make somebody wait at the office if I'm not there. And um, I was beating myself up. I was like, how could you have done this? And then I kind of looked outside and I realized, wait a minute, it's not eight o'clock because it's not light. And when I got the computer on, it said, what did it say? 6.04. So somehow in changing my alarm, I had changed the screen. And that is such a small description of what happens to a partner, you know, they're sick to their stomach. They're having racing thoughts and ruminating thoughts. They're shaking. They don't want to eat. They can't sleep or they're sleeping to avoid. I mean, there's so many, as we talked about earlier, psychobiological things going on for them that they don't feel safe. Their life's off kilter a hundred percent. And so as therapists and coaches, we do our best to teach them those exercises that will help them begin to feel safe. And once they do, and that process is usually at least 90 days and sometimes up to two years. Once they feel safe enough, they got to do the hard work. They've And they shouldn't have to do the hard work. They didn't ask for this work. They didn't ask for this process. But the truth of the matter is they've got to, to get to the other side of restoration, which is phase three. So they've got to grieve and mourn what they thought they had and what they wanted to have. And they have to be angry about it. And so that's why we want them with partner sensitive clinicians and coaches, because 
we know what they need to do to grieve. For instance, in my book, Unleashing Your Power, it's a workbook for them to do some of the grief exercises. You know, they may write a very intellectual civil letter about how he has affected them. Um, that may be an emotional impact letter, or it just may be a letter of, look what you did to me. And that externalizes some feelings and helps them to heal. But it doesn't stop there. In my workbook, I recommend that they also write a venomous letter, a letter that calls him every name in the books, a letter that tells him he has destroyed her life, a letter that shares how she'll never be able to trust again, to bring out all those angry, sad, vulnerable feelings that she's thinking about a lot. Because when a partner can externalize those feelings and especially share them with a clinician or a coach, she is much more likely to let them go and move on. And you would think it was the other way around, that the more she talked about it, the more she would ruminate about it and the more um, it would make her angry. But what we found from partner betrayal research is it's very, very cathartic. It helps her to have her voice. She gets really clear. And then after that exercise, I have her write a declaration letter, how she's going to be treated by him and what she's going to do if he doesn't um, support her through her trauma, her grief, her mourning, her loss, and especially her anger. And that's where a good couples therapist that can help them do anger exercises so she can get it out, that's when that can occur. So that's phase two. And unfortunately, I wish this were linear, but what we find with partners is that they'll feel safe, they'll start to do their work, they'll feel unsafe, they'll have one foot in phase one, they'll have one foot in phase two, and they'll straddle that. That's absolutely okay. Same thing happens with phase three, which is restoration. I call it post-traumatic growth, but truth of the matter is, it is um, post-traumatic growth and restoration. It's restoration of the woman, the partner. Of course, that can be a man if the roles are reversed and the addict is a woman. But we're talking about female partners here. So she has to feel restored. And that typically means that she's learned how to trust him. She's learned how to detach from him. Um, he has been in good recovery. And if he hasn't been in good recovery, she has learned how not to depend on that. Then there's restoration of self or the coupleship. You know, if he's done good work and they've done their work together, they can vision a new life together. John Gottman says that for any marital couple, and by the way, John Gottman is the father of uh, marital therapy. He says that for any couple to stay healthy, they have to have a new vision. And attunement has to occur. And attunement, actually, there's two words for this, attunement and atonement. And that means there has to be a, a rebuild of connection. Um, and so restoration means the self, 
it may mean the coupleship. And then that third part, which often happens in partner betrayal, it's a renewing of a spiritual connection again. You know, when this thing happens to partners, they worry. They wonder why God did this to them, why God would allow this to happen to them, why God didn't provide a miracle and stop it. And it can snowball into their relationship with God, with their church, with their church community, and with their faith in general. And so um, we hope that some of that restoration occurs in all three of those areas, if it was impacted. And that's phase three. And I, I'm just going to do a little plug. Um, I don't think clinicians know how to embrace that third phase enough. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book because I want clinicians and coaches to move their clients through all three phases. And I even developed a partner betrayal course on post-traumatic growth. And in that course, I interview nine part, well, eight partners and one sex addict. I interview seven female partners and one male partner. And then I interview a sex addict who is now in post-traumatic growth with his wife that was a partner. And they talk about how they work together to give purpose to what they've been through in the past. So it is uber uh, inspirational. Every time I watch their interviews, they're about 15 minutes a piece. I've also identified what relational and post-traumatic growth skills are using to have gotten to the other side. And then a part of the course is just teaching a lot of what's in this workbook, which is, you know, how do you find safety and stabilization? How do you mourn and grieve? And how do you embrace that strong, strong sense of self that has come out of all this trauma? Oh, so good. I, I love how you, you said that was the piece about restoration and just re-envisioning their lives now. That it's, it's, it looks different now and it's going to look different. So let's re-envision what that looks and just everything you said and um I cannot wait to get my hands on that book because it is going to be so, so powerfully useful. I know with, with the partners that I work with. So I'm so excited about it. So let me know right when it comes out. I'll announce it on the list, sir. Okay. Okay. And you know, when you were, when you were talking, I was thinking about kind of how we talked about with the help her heal, how he is trying to understand where she's coming from. What do you feel like you know, the partner needs to understand about sex addiction or betrayal because, you know, you, you, you've heard as well, why is he doing this? Why did he do it? This is not who I thought he was. Who is this man? You know, what could be something that would be helpful for the partner to, to understand about him? Well, we may be singing to the choir here because you and I both know that partners, when this happens to them, they immediately go on a search 
Yeah. We're trying to understand why it happened. And I've got a funny story um, for anybody who doesn't know. I have the oldest podcast on sex addiction uh, in the world. Um, I'm 65, but I started this when I was about 50. And um, I interviewed experts all over the world. And it was going to be on sex addiction. I, I wasn't doing partner betrayal uh, recovery. And the first week, I had 34 listeners. The second week, no, by the end of the month, I had 3,000. And wow. as of today, I have a listening audience of almost 800,000 listeners. That's amazing. And all over the world. Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing is just like your incredible podcast, there are podcasts all over the world now um, from clinicians, from coaches, from spiritual leaders, from faith groups. I mean, there is so much good information. But since I was the oldest and there was not any podcast on about sex addiction, after year one, I looked at my demographics and 52% of my listening audience was women. And I startled at that. I thought, I don't even know that many female sex addicts. And then it hit me. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, these are women who are tuning in to find out about their husbands. Yeah, They need to make sense of this. So um, I don't think that there is a really good book for partners on sex addiction. I don't. I think that they can pick up any book on sex addiction, Sex Addiction 101 by Rob Wise. Um, uh, probably the, the most famous book is um, Facing the Shadows and Out of the Shadows by Dr. Patrick Carnes. Uh, that does a great job of explaining really the two major factors that go into sex addiction. The first being that whether they had a trauma as a child or they didn't, they started participating in behaviors that became compulsive. Now, for some men, they inherited that gene because they had addiction for generation and generation and generation in their family. And we know that, you know, sex addiction is by far the worst addiction, but sex addiction, food addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, if you've got that gene, you're much more likely to get brain locked into the behaviors. Um, we also know that some men have obsessive compulsive personalities or tendencies and they're much more likely to get addicted to pornography, acting out, prostitutes, whatever, affair partners. But with the internet, making, a, making pornography and um, addiction so available, anonymous, and accessible, we are seeing a new type of addict who the computer has been their wingman. You know, when you've got porn in your pocket, you have accessibility and availability 24-7. And what we know about brain science, and this is that second part, is that, you know, these guys aren't just looking singularly focused at one thing. 
they've got 15 screens open. They're looking at eight different kinds of pornography and they've got um, web searches going and they've got adult websites that they're scrolling through to look at women and they've got Instagram open and they've got Facebook open and they've got them all open at one time and that floods the brain, but it also creates what addiction is really about. It creates that when it's shut down, their brain is saying, what else is out there? What haven't I seen? What do I need to look at again? And that compulsion is something we've never seen in mankind ever mm -hmm. before. Wow. Which is horrible for males in the society, but it's even scarier for kids. Yeah. Because kids are seeing that pornography too. And kids are not just looking at, I mean, they may not be in web chats, but they're they seeing pornography that are violent, yeah. that have to do with gang banging, mm -hmm. that have to do with asphyxiation. They are connecting sex with gang rape right. and hurting. And, you know, their little brains haven't even been developed yet. So um, we have to keep them safe. And for our listening audience, the best podcast, the best researcher, the best informationalist about how to keep kids safe is Gail Dines, D-I-N-E-S. She's in the UK and she has made it her mission. She is emphatic about protecting our kids. Just an amazing resource for parents out there. So I hope I answered that this is, you know, they may be wondering why, why did he do this? But they need to understand brain science to understand uh, the history in the family, the trauma he may have been through, and the type of information he put in his brain that got brain locked. Yeah. And when she does, she'll realize that he did something that most addicts do not need to utilize um, as comprehensively. He compartmentalized. Yeah. He was able to look at six hours of porn, shut that box, and go to that family reunion and enjoy that family time. And then once that was done, he put that in the box and he went to work. And when he was at work, he decided to spend three hours looking on adult friend finders. And it was that compartmentalization that kept him in a state of denial that she would never find out and what she didn't know wouldn't hurt her. Yeah. And um, when discovery occurs, it blows that up in, in such a powerful way. Uh, but it also, it also brings him out of denial. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and for the, what you said about, you know, she's trying to make sense of this and, and some of it, you, you, you just, you, you just can't, you know, I mean, unless you are an addict and really truly understand that. And it's hard to understand sometimes, well, if he loved me, you know, this, this isn't love or this, it makes no sense in that realm. But like you said, there's that compartmentalizing 
of the addiction and the, the brain wiring and all of that that's going on that is, it's not necessarily that that man does not love her, right? That it's, it's, and that's very hard for a partner to, to really understand that he can still really care about her and love her, but have this addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I would almost guarantee that that love was always there, had always been there, but it's incomprehensible to a woman to know that he has cheated in so many ways and been able to love her too. Because yeah. women aren't like that. We're relationship oriented. We focus on relationships and not on um arousal templates and brain hits and dopamine highs and all the things that come with sex addiction. Um, Although truly my partners do get brain science. I mean, they're reading up on it. They're, they've done the, the best with, they talk about the new research that's out there with Dr. Donald Hilton and, you know, they keep me um, very fresh in terms of, you know, what brain science is all about when it comes to sex addiction. That's awesome. Cause they're searching for those answers. And so that's, that's fantastic. I, you know, as, as we're wrapping up, I just, um, again, I'm so thankful for you. You just, you have so many years of just knowledge and understanding of this and so many amazing resources and you have an online group. Isn't that right? Um, yeah, I, we actually just shut that down. Okay. Um, I'm going to have an online group for both partners and I've had an addicts one for 15 years. You know, when I met with Dr. Carnes and I said, what is the most helpful thing I can do for addicts? He said, start a sex addictions therapy group. And I, mm. I immediately followed his words and, you know, he, he gave me, something that was so important when he gave me that advice. And we all know the partners need support and they need to have safe people that they can talk to. And sometimes that's not their family. Sometimes it's not their sisters. Sometimes it's not their friends. Sometimes it's not their church. They really have to weigh in carefully who they can trust to not spread the drama and the trauma in their lives. And so partner groups are always one of the best. I know you were probably getting ready to say, this is what I'm thinking you were going to say. <laughs> um, how can people find out about your resources? Yeah. I want to tell people I have two websites. I have um, the website specifically for partners and for addicts. And that is www.sexhelpwithcaroltecoach. Um, and that has a help her heal online course for him. If he's not the kind of guy that can read a book, he can watch my course and get the information. It has the partner, uh, post-traumatic growth course for partners. And, um, I really would encourage partners to watch this no matter what stage they're in, because what it will do guaranteed if they go well i'm still in the grief stage it will remind them they're already using some of those tools that you need for post-traumatic growth yeah so it's a nice uh reinforcer plus it gives um it gives ideas of how to get through those three stages 
that APSATS uh, has in their multidimensional trauma model, um, which actually came from Judith Herman, who was the person that helped people get through any kind of trauma. So it has my books, Help or Heal. It has Sex Addiction from the Masters. It has 12 people who have, have helped addicts and how to do that. And that money goes to a research uh, group. I don't keep any of that money. That's a donation. It, it costs, I think, $12, $20. I don't know, but all that money goes. I mean, that's my give to, to them. And then that money goes back to research because we need more research. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I got a second website that's not about healing. It's about actualizing your potential. It's about having gratitude. It's about working on depression and anxiety. It's not focused on partner betrayal or sex addiction. It's for the general person. And it's kind of uplifting. And it's just called www.carolthecoach.com. It has over 600 articles. Um, between both sites, I've got like 400 YouTubes, um, all my podcasts, Live Your Best Life. I have two podcasts right now, the Sex Health Podcast, as well as an AppSats podcast that I host for them. Um, that's all very directly partner betrayal recovery. And yeah, I really believe that we're pioneers, Liza, in this field. And that whenever we make it, available to the masses we're changing the world one person at a time yeah absolutely carol thank you so much for being on on here and sharing your wisdom and and all your many resources they're also helpful um not just for partners and addicts but for therapists like myself <laughs> to to continue to learn and grow and and understand how best to help you know, help our clients. So thank you for being on here. I so appreciate it. Well, I appreciate being on your podcast. And I remember you when you said, I want to have a podcast and look at you now. <laughs> so thank you for making that a reality. A lot of people think about things and don't implement them. Good well, thanks job. For, thanks for helping me along in that. I so appreciate it. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm.